0: Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dorr at Insight Wealth Group. Good morning. Welcome to the latest edition of the Weekly Insight Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Andrew Dore. Thank you for joining us today. I will do what I do every week and just start off by reminding you that what you're about to hear should not be considered individual investment advice, but instead just my thought and my firm's thoughts on what's going on with the market and the economy. If you'd like to have a discussion about how this might pertain to your personal portfolio, go ahead and give us a call. We'd love to chat. Well, happy Halloween, everyone. Let's hope this isn't a spooky episode of the Weekly Insight Podcast. You know, if you're, if you're like me and you live in central Iowa or specifically the Des Moines area, you are familiar with something that we call here beggar's night. It's an interesting thing. Now, I, I moved here from elsewhere in Iowa. We did not have Beggar's Night. But here in Des Moines, they have Beggar's Night. And instead of kids wandering the streets on Halloween to scare their neighbors and learn about pre-diabetes, they actually head out the day before on October 30th. October 30th is Beggar's Night. And it's when we celebrate with trick-or-treating. The why on this one was interesting. I had to look it up because I didn't understand it when I moved here. And frankly, I didn't pay attention until I had kids. But I looked it up. It actually started back in 1938. And it was a response to what the city of Des Moines was considering a, quote, high volume of mischief and vandalism that was being reported every Halloween. And I'll point out here that, yeah, mischief and vandalism was happening in 1938, too, right? Teenagers have always kind of sucked. So we need to get beyond the fact that our generation was any better. We weren't. We all raised trouble, too. But the theory was, at the time, that if they moved the date from October 31st to October 30th, it would reduce the shenanigans that happened on Halloween. And that tradition's lived on for 85 years. To me, though, when I read that, it's such an odd solution. Admittedly, there's a problem. You know, kids raising hell on Halloween, there's a problem there. But are teenagers just going to be like, ah, no, it's October 30th now. It's not October 31st, so we're not going to raise any trouble tonight. We wouldn't do that on October 30th. I don't think so. Note the problems just move to whatever day it is that you're celebrating Halloween. And to me, as I was thinking about this over the weekend, it reminded me a bit of how Congress has been running the budgeting process for the last 35 years. Yeah, we're getting there. If you punt the problem to another day, i.e. pass a continuing resolution, it does not change the fact that you still have a problem that needs to be dealt with. And I include a chart in the Weekly Insight memo this week. It's not actually an up-to-date chart. It's actually from 2018. But I thought it was a great descriptor of how Washington has been handling this budgeting process, going all the way back to the late 1990s. And obviously, it hasn't gotten any better in the last five years. But what it shows is that every single year... Since 1998, Congress has missed the deadline to pass a budget. Many years it's run into the next year. You know, the deadline is September 30th. Many years it's run past January 1st. There's actually been three years that they never actually passed anything, and it just rolled into the next year. And we have just gotten in a very bad habit there. We run panic to panic through a process that does not allow the American consumer or the stock market the ability to plan for the future. Frankly, I think it's an absolute failure of leadership, but until we start holding our representatives accountable for what I would consider to be literally the most basic function of their job, nothing is probably going to change. Which brings us to today, because on September 30th, they did it again. They passed another continuing resolution, and just a few days later, they fired Mike McCarthy. Now, that continuing resolution funded the government through November 17th. That's 19 days away. But over the last month, pretty much nothing has happened on it because the House has been completely wrapped up with replacing McCarthy and it's consumed Washington and the House without a Speaker is not allowed to actually legislate anything. And so the budgeting process has completely stalled out. So here we are now. We have a Speaker, but we have 19 days until the next government shutdown. Washington is hopefully getting to work. I think new Speaker Mike Johnson is going to have his hands full. How does he navigate a caucus that fired the last guy for compromising on a budget? How does he put together a plan that is going to pass the House and the Senate, get White House approval, and not get him fired? To his credit, he laid out a very specific plan to members last week, members of the GOP conference. He actually wrote it in a letter, so we can see it. We can see exactly what he said. And in it, he called for a return to the old way of legislating spending, which includes passing through the Appropriations Committee individual spending bills for each area of Congress. But he was also clear that that is not going to happen by November 17th. And so he asked the conference to do just one more continuing resolution. Now to me, that reminds me of my kids asking to do just one more house on beggars night. But it seems that he's won over some of McCarthy's previous opponents on this issue. Matt Gates, who's the guy who famously initiated McCarthy's removal, has said that he would be willing to support this bridge, as he called it, to a more normalized process. It's going to be interesting to see if Johnson can rally the support necessary over the coming two weeks. But it doesn't matter what side of the alley you fall on, a government shutdown right now would not be good for the world or our economy. So let's hope they can figure something out. Now additionally, it's Fed Week this week. Chairman Powell and crew are meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday, so it comes as no surprise that all eyes are going to be on Chairman Powell on Wednesday as he addresses the latest Fed decisions from the podium. There was a lot of economic news last week, which I think the Fed is going to be digesting, and I want to go through a few of these things so you can kind of get a sense of what it is they're going to be thinking about and worrying about as they meet and as they come to their decision this week. So we're going to walk through three of them right now, and we'll start with GDP. Now, GDP came in a little hotter than folks have been anticipating. It came in at 4.9%, and the consensus estimate was 4.3%. So, you know, call that uh, 60 basis points above the expectation. That 4.9% number might actually be familiar to you if you're a listener of the Insight podcast. And it'll be familiar because that number is almost exactly what the Atlanta Fed was predicting just a few weeks ago. Now, the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now forecast has been one of the most accurate in predicting inflation in the current quarter. That brings up an interesting question. What are they saying that GDP is going to do for Q4? Because you and I have all been pounded with news stories that a recession is coming, a recession is coming. But is it coming soon? Not according to the Atlanta Fed. Their current projection for Q4 GDP is 2.3%. So that means that this year we would have 2.2 in Q1, 2.1 in Q2, 4.9 in Q3, and 2.3 in Q4. That would be a fantastic year for GDP growth. So that's good news. We also got the manufacturing PMI data this week. We haven't talked about PMI data in a while here, but it's important. There's two types of PMI. There's PMI stands for the Purchasing Managers Index, and there's two types of it. There's the services sector and the manufacturing sector. PMI is measured on a scale where below 50 means the industry is contracting, and above 50 means it is expanding. A dip in either has historically indicated a slowdown in the economy, but that is especially true of the manufacturing sector. And that's what we've seen. Manufacturing PMI actually peaked in February of 2021, Now, those were pretty unsustainable highs caused by COVID, but it's been falling ever since and it entered into correction territory or below 50 in November of last year and bottomed out in March, but it's been improving since then. And that improvement has been marked by fits and starts, but there's been a steady climb over the last several months, and especially last week when we got a big surprise. PMI jumped back to 50, meaning it is no longer contracting. Given this is reporting on a period during the UAW strike, which now seems to be ending, is particularly good news for the economy. And then there's inflation. That's the biggest thing when it comes to the Fed. We've talked about the many measures of inflation before, but you know that PCE inflation is always what the Fed calls its preferred measure as always there was a lot of talk in the media when the inflation data came out right away that it was maybe a bit of a hot read but it really wasn't core PCE dropped from 3.8 to 3.7 which was exactly in line with expectations and and all items PCE stayed at the same level as the previous month right at 3.4% which was also exactly as anticipated. But we're getting to that point that we talked about last week. These numbers are starting to back it up. Inflation numbers are stabilizing. They're not going to 2%. They're sitting here in the threes. And they may fall some more. They likely will fall some more after a period of stabilization. But what is the Fed going to do? Are they going to try to push us down to 2%? Or are they going to be patient and willing to wait? The consensus right now is that the Fed isn't going to do anything this week. As of Friday, the current CME group model shows a 99.9% chance of not raising rates at this next meeting. That's good news for the time being. But it means we're left yet again to read the tea leaves of Powell's comments to guess what the future brings. So expect a volatile day in the market on Wednesday when he talks as folks are trying to figure out exactly what he's trying to say. We'll be back next week with our take on it. I'm sure it's going to be interesting. With that, we'll wrap up. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to give us a call here at the office at 515-273-1333, or you can always visit us on the web at www.insightwealthgroup.com. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to touching base with you again soon. Take care. Securities offered through r Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, Investment advisory services offered to Arte Wealth Advisors LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm.